Have you thought this through? No way will that work. Are you sure? Is there any money in that? You'll never make any money doing that. How are you going to pay the mortgage? Just get a job. You're going to try to tell that? Why can't you be normal like anybody else? All right. Were your parents morons too? Savvy entrepreneur to the rescue! Congratulations, that really turned out well. I'm really good job. I'm really, really. You know, I wish I thought of that. I never thought of anyone then. How did you do that? I'm so glad you're here. I wish I had the courage to follow my dreams. Good morning, all you entrepreneurs and small business people out there. You are listening to the Savvy Entrepreneur Show. I'm Doris Nagel, your host for the next hour. The show has two goals. First, to share helpful information and resources. If I can help just one of you entrepreneurs out there not make some of the many mistakes I've made myself or that I've seen clients or friends make, then I've been successful. The second goal is to inspire. I don't know about you, but I've found that being an entrepreneur is often confusing, sometimes lonely. You know, you have no idea if you're on the right track or sometimes where to turn for good advice. So to help with both of those goals, every week on the show, I have guests who are willing to share their stories and their advice. And this week's guest is Meredith Hammer. She's the founder founder and owner of the Hammer Legal Group. And she joins me this week to share her journey as an entrepreneur So, Meredith, thanks so much for being with me today. Welcome to the Savvy Entrepreneur Show. Thank you so much, Doris. I appreciate being here. I'm looking forward to speaking with you today. I am looking forward to it, too, because you have such an interesting background, and I've only heard just a little piece of it, and I can't wait to hear more. First, though, tell the listeners just a little bit about who you are and how the Hammer Legal Group came to be. Okay. So again, I'm Meredith Hammer. As um, as you know, I am an attorney. I've been an attorney for over 20 years. Seems just like yesterday. I yeah. <laughs> uh, tell me raised. about it. Where's right. it go? Right. I was born and raised by two amazing people. My 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 parents in Indianapolis, Indiana. So I'm from the Midwest. I'm a Midwestern girl, and um, I currently live in uh, Chicago, India, Illinois. Bingo. No children, <laughs> but uh, a doggy. I ha- I love dogs. I love love animals, uh, dogs in particular. So I have um, my one doggy um, left. I have three. Uh, oh my goodness! Two. I thought I, I have two, and I'm like I'm going crazy. What kind yeah, of dogs well, are they? Well, I did have three. I know my, the, two of them passed away uh, in the last couple of years, but I had them for years and years, over thirteen years, and they had the best life ever. They were. I have big dogs now. Uh, like when I when I and Sweepy is still a big dog. Pit mixes, two pit mixes, and a bull mastiff. So wow, know, I know. And I used to walk all three of them, you know, down the street, and people would look at me like I knew how to command and lead. Mush, <laughs> <laughs> put the sled, hook them up to the sled in the wintertime, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. But I I I love animals. I love, and I particularly you know, impartial to dogs. So speak and I just came back from our morning walk. Well, <laughs> you and I share that. I, I yeah. love my two little pooches. The world revolves around them, I think. I think they think they're part human. But uh, anyway, so you were raised in Indianapolis, but you're here in Chicago and your firm is here. So talk about how that happened. Yeah, well, you know, I... Um, you know, have, have moved a couple of times. I was raised in India, as, as we were talking, we, you know, we know. And um, I think I always kind of felt like I wanted to go out and explore the world. I, I uh, during undergraduate, my undergraduate years um, at Purdue, I did my summer interns in California. I have family there. And then I, I kind of always thought I wanted to, I don't know, you know, explore the world, you know, you know, and, and just, you know, take an opportunity to experience and have adventures. So, um, I did move back after undergrad, I moved back to India and then, um, went to law school in Indianapolis while working full time. Um, good for you. Yeah, it was, a it was a, uh, you know, strong work ethic, 
definitely coming from my parents and um, totally worth it. Um, and then I moved to DC. I moved to the District of Columbia after uh, law school and lived there for um, a couple of years, loved it. And then I moved back to Indy when my mom became ill about 20 years ago. She was diagnosed with uh, leukemia and the doctors told us, they said she's not gonna live past 18 or 19 months. So I said, well, you know, it's going to be the best time of her life. I'm moving back to care for my mom and, you know, to help my dad. Definitely did not regret that. Uh, moved back and helped mom. And she he did not die within her 18 or 19 months. Super strong person, strong woman. Um, you know, she um, she got better, even went back to work. And, and so, so I, you know, was in Indianapolis <laughs> after that for... A little while. Um, it took her some time to get to get her, you know, to heal and to get herself together. So I stayed there helping her and dad. And then ultimately, um, you know, you know me, wanting another adventure, <laughs> I decided to a friend of a friend knew um clerk uh Dorothy Brown Cook, who is um or was the clerk of the circuit court in Cook County. And ah. um, so, so a friend of a friend knew her. I have family in Chicago. And so I was introduced to Clerk Brown several years ago. And she asked me to come and work for her. And so I did uh, another adventure. And then I helped her when she ran for mayor. I became her campaign manager and just really fell in love with politics. Um, so she, you know, she inspired me, another strong woman. And then my aunt also inspired me. My aunt is or was the first African-American chief of police of the San Diego Police Department. So, you know, she had a lot to do with, uh, you know, just helping me to sort of figure out, you know, what I wanted to, to do when I grew up. Yeah. Um, you, you know, Mer Meredith, I'm just listening to you. You know, one of the questions I had planned to ask you later on was where you find inspiration, but I think it's mm. pretty obvious where at least you find a lot of your inspiration, maybe not all of it, but um, right. you come from clearly a a family and an extended circle of strong women who I'm sure you support each other, which is, you know, a lot of us long for. Yeah, that is definitely true. I think that I have been lucky in life. I always say that I am well-loved. I'm getting a little emotional is because I am thinking about these super strong women. You know, my mom passed away a couple of years ago and just, you know, I never really thought about it a lot. Until well, th think about how hard it is for us as women today. Yeah. And, and I, you know, for you doubly as a woman of color, but imagine for those trailblazers like your mom and your aunt and, uh people of that generation it was it, it was hard it was it was you know unusual for women and you know however hard it is for us today they've made it a little less hard honestly absolutely I think they definitely paved the way you know like you said my mom she actually was the first entrepreneur that I knew and I believe that's where I I, I got my entrepreneurial spirit was from her she um was born and raised she and my aunt in a little small town called Jamesville, North Carolina. So I definitely, um, you know, tough growing up, you know, hard life, but definitely. And even like I said, Claire Brown, you know, also a woman from a certain generation, you know, born in a small town in Louisiana and with, the, you know, a family. She, I think she had seven or eight siblings. Wow. Um, all of whom who went on to go to college. Wow, that's that's amazing. Yeah, so super strong, super, you know, overcoming of, of the obstacles and just, you know, fighter. So I definitely come from a family and people and have, like you, you said, an extended support group of just strong, strong people, strong women in particular. And, um, you know, I was going to talk about that. I think that's really helped me wanting to become an entrepreneur, but even getting through that, you know, the inspiration, but the support, you know, just having these people, women to go back to 
and you know people telling you you can do this meredith you know people telling you reminding me when it gets tough people telling you keep going when maybe sometimes you want to give up so you mentioned you were working for the clerk of the court in cook county but Mm -hmm. now you have your own law firm the hammer Mm -hmm. legal group how did that come about so I had the I started the Hammer Legal Group actually in 2008, I think eight, and I started it in Indianapolis. I started it after the the crash, the stock market crashed. I um, got laid off, <laughs> like a lot of people did. I you know I saw it coming. Maybe you know like the next day after the crash, I um, received a call and you know was told I was going to be let go. Impacted, as they say, as human resources people say, it's like like somehow you're hit by a bus or something, right? Right, it definitely impacted me <laughs> greatly, wow. and it, you know, I scrambled. I went, I scrambled. I, I was frantic and scrambled, and, and really did start looking for a job, looking for work. It took me several months, and nothing came about. I was told honestly at every juncture you're overqualified you're overqualified and I probably was you know but I was I was laid off so I was looking for work then I just came up with the idea I says well you know what instead of me going you know begging someone for a job right I'm gonna start my own and make my own way and so I honestly <laughs> I think it may have been like I said my mom's entrepreneurial spirit inspiration just you know it came to me um, I started looking for uh, what we call RFPs, request for proposals. And I had done those kinds of um, responses to those kinds of RFPs before, probably in my uh, my, my former gig. I call them gigs. I call jobs. My former <laughs> job. um, well, anymore, I think that's about right. And I think um, there's a reason that people's interest in entrepreneurship these days is probably at a historical high is because... Honestly, life is a series of gigs anymore, and you can call yourself an employee or an entrepreneur or whatever you are, but this whole idea of you, Inc., and you're in charge of your career and your ship, I mean, that's kind of... Yeah. I mean, when I got, when they called me, I was, you know, like, floored. I'm like, but this stuff, this isn't solid either, you know, right? You know, my my parents had kind of always kind of thought, oh, well, you know, and kind of, you know, they come from a a generation where you, you know, your job uh, and you or you may only get one or two jobs for your entire life. But that right. just that wasn't the case for me. I mean, right. Like I said, the crash um, came and it was over and I had to figure it out. And so I did. I, I responded to an RFP um, that was put out by the by the Indian Housing and Community Development Authority. And I, I always say I started with four pieces of blank paper. I, I responded to it and I was awarded uh, a half a million dollar contract. Wow. Sound like a lot, but <laughs> well, still you... that's, that's not a bad place to start a, a law practice, solo law practice either yeah. though. Yeah. So I started it and, and it was, it was just me. I decided to bring on a, a friend of mine, but wasn't is one of the smartest people I, I know. Um, her name is Heather Gaddy. She um, was also a lawyer, and I had grew up with Heather. See, when I moved to D.C., she was there, and and then we ultimately moved back. I, when I moved back, she moved back after me because her past, her dad had passed away. So long story short, we started it, and we started the firm, and we were doing what is called um, compliance monitoring for the housing authority. And it, we, you know, we had flexible schedules. She had a child at the time. And so it really worked for us. We we had to do a little travel around the state to various community development corporations, met a lot of people, people in those places that we still know today, been, you know, 13, 14 years ago. We did a great job and we had the flexibility that, but that's how the firm got started. That's how the Hammer Legal Group was started. Um, it was of that project, that contract with the Indiana Housing Development Authority. It was a great, great time. But, you know, I had an opportunity, like I said, we had flexibility, we made money, <laughs> we were able to hire a couple more people, they extended the contract. I took a lot of joy and pride in 
being able to hire others and to create jobs for, for other people. So now after working for a while, though, doing that, then you went to become an employee at the... Yeah, I know. Court? The clerk had to talk me into it. <laughs> uh, wow. And now you're back practicing again, yeah. right? So you've had a real great opportunity to see the differences and the pros and cons of being an employee versus running your own business. And, you know, I belong to SCORE, which is part of the SBA, and I'm a SCORE. Well, I used to be a mentor. Now I'm a subject matter expert for them. But, you know, I talk to a lot of people who are either have been let go or they want to quit their jobs, but I don't know if they fully understand really the difference between having worked in a company or an organization for a long time versus setting up their own business. So you've had a chance to be the entrepreneur, be an employee now, but go back to being an entrepreneur. Help those people out. Tell me about your perception of what some of the biggest differences are and things that people should think about if they've been working in an organization for a long time, what they need to prepare themselves for if they decide they want to take the plunge and, and start their own business. Yeah, it is it is challenging. Uh, you know, obviously, I I think that, you know, for me, it may have been easier, quote unquote, because I wasn't, I say on the one hand, it may have been easier, but on the other hand, maybe not. Um, on the one hand, I You thinking, are definitely a lawyer, Meredith. You've got, right, I know, right? I got to tie one of your hands behind your back. Is it the, the I'm right. And I'm, and I'm literally back and forth with my hands in the air. Okay. So I, and I thought about this before, I don't have children, right? So it's easier. Like I don't have, um, it's easier for me just to throw caution of the wind and say, okay, I'll figure it out. Right, because you only have yourself to worry about. I only have myself and my dogs to think about, you know, and I have parents, you know, who they're not, they're never going to let me not eat. Right. Right. So, you know, so, but but if I were married, then it may, it may be a little easier too, uh, but maybe not. Yeah, I know. I hear you. not want me to. I hear you. My my significant other may not want me to just throw caution to the wind. Yeah. Um, and it just depends on, you know, so it, it's a balance. It's always a balance, I, I think. And so, um, so there, you know, you know, there are some things to consider. The stability, right, of uh, a job is there. Uh, maybe, you know, because we just talked about how, you know, anything could happen and you could be, you know, terminated. Uh, but there, you know, likely is going to be some stability for a certain amount of time. There's certainly more stability. I mean, you know, I think one of the biggest shocks for me when I left corporate America, you you know, you get that paycheck Mm -hmm. and okay. Even if you don't know if the job's going to be there for the next five years, you know, you probably don't worry as much about is that paycheck going to come in two weeks so I can pay my mortgage or pay up my car bill or whatever. So suddenly being an entrepreneur and having all these expenses when I started, Mm -hmm. you know, things that needed to get set up and thought through and, you know, things like, oh, I need a website. Well, you know, Mm -hmm. if you're working for an organization, I'll tell you what, I, when people say, well, you know, what do you, what do you miss about corporate America? Anything? I'm like, yeah, the IT department. (laughs) Well, that's true. I wouldn't say that because I do have an undergraduate degree in computer development. So um, well, that's, you're lucky there. (laughs) Yeah. So so I could see though, how you would say that you would, the IT department and um, they do a lot, you know, even if something breaks down, you know, like the computer or something, you just call IT, you call right. them, um to come and fix it. So, and I, right. I think that and have done that and will continue to do it. So don't necessarily have that, you know, when you're out on your own as an entrepreneur, but like you said, certainly more stability. I know for me, um, that was one of the things is just to be, to be able to have, you know, to rely on that, you know, the paycheck every couple of weeks. Yep. Yep. Um, so the upside, but that was kind of it for me, right? <laughs> I always say I don't make a good employee, Doris. (laughs) I'm just thinking back for myself, too. I think the other thing 
you know, maybe this just goes to the self-discipline you need to have as, mm. as an entrepreneur. It was always comforting to me when there was too much work to do or not mm. enough. Mm. I could always go to my boss and say, I need help here. I have too much work. Mm. Or, uh, hey, things are kind of slow. I'm. Is there anything I can help out with? You know, you don't have a boss to... You are the boss. You need to manage yourself (laughs) and figure out how to deal with those tidal waves that may come with clients that suddenly need stuff all of a sudden if you're a service business like I was or like you are. And then, you know, how to be productive and not panic when the crickets are chirping. Yeah, it is. It is definitely it's a balancing act. I um, have to say, I think that for me, you know, having be, you know worked as an employee, you know, been an employee, come out as an entrepreneur, and then going back, I think, like I said, I didn't really make the best employee because I always kind of wanted to be in charge after that. You know, <laughs> I wanted to be, you know, do this, do that, let's change this, let's make these changes, and you know, my boss, my boss is going, what, like, what are you? I do think though that I had, you know, I was able to really do well at collaborating with other people and and not really pushing people around. But I I I have a strong work ethic, so and I'm a workaholic, I think. So um, I'm always finding something to do, and I don't seem to have downtime. Um, you know, as an attorney, and I only practice in certain areas, but people call me. I feel like I've people call me for everything and anything. Right. I'm sure that's true. I, I'm sure that's true. Just like doc, just like doctors, like, hey, can yes. you see this thing on my skin? What is this? I'm like, yeah. I'm sorry, I'm a brain surgeon. I don't really know much about that. Right? That's why I don't, I, I practice on the civil side doing probate and real estate and, you know, contract disputes. I do wills, trust, and estate planning. And so I don't do and have never done any criminal work. But people call me every other day. Oh, yeah. Um, And then I have this kind of unique thing where my last name is Hammer. And then I, so I set up the Hammer Legal Group. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then um, there is a a gentleman, an attorney who calls himself the Hammer. (laughs) Oh, right. He just calls himself the Hammer. His last name is not Hammer. But he posts, he has billboards up and down 65 and on the way to Kentucky. And so about every two days, <laughs> I receive a call. <laughs> He's a personal injury attorney. And oh, I am no. So and everybody so it, thinks you're a personal injury firm. Everybody thinks I'm the hammer. And oh, they call funny. me and say, hey, hammer. Sometimes they'll say, hey, hammer. Um, I need your help. I was just in a car wreck or I had an accident, a truck sideswiped me or I fell down. I mean, every it it's gotten worse. And I've tried at one point I tried to keep up and, and call people back or text them, you know, and say I'm not I'm not this person, but here's somebody, you know, I can refer you to. Um, sometimes they have, you know, I've referred people to other people, but um, it's gotten out of hand. It's just completely gotten out of That's hand. That's crazy. Well, crazy. So, so how how have you found clients once you started back? No, now, now you started your firm, kind of restarted it up again, and now you're in Chicago, not yeah. not Indianapolis. So how so did I'm you licensed. start finding so, clients? I think a couple things, two or three things. The area I practice in, it's probate, it's real estate and trust and estate planning. And those actually go together, <laughs> believe it or not. But the probate work, um, you know, contracts disputes, you know, real estate and contracts disputes, you know, breach of contract, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But the probate work I started years ago uh, when my mom became ill, actually. I set up her estate plan, her healthcare power attorney, her financial power attorney. We needed to do that. And so I stumbled through it. I hadn't didn't have any other background in that area, but I stumbled through it for my mom. And I, I helped her get her, you know, disability early because she wasn't of age to get it because wow. she was sick. And so I had to fight for her, even to receive medical treatment, you know, in the hospital. It was a, a lot. And she told me, she said, you know, you need to do this kind of thing for other people. And so 
you know, I I would tell people I did it, you know, I would tell them that story and um, they would ask me for help and people would call me in crisis. Like, you know, my mom is ill. What do I do? Well, here you go. I got this for you. Here you go. I just did it for my mom. Or um, I'm thinking about, you know, what am I going to do when I pass away? Right. You know, so we would talk about a will. And then naturally with that, estate planning, you know, estates, you know, largely consist of real estate. And then um, having worked on the project, the Indiana Housing Authority project, I kind of had some connections in, with real estate and you know, what real estate looked like and buying and selling property. And then I had bought my house, you know, Um, and my broker was very, very helpful. He actually was, he was the person who got me the office down the hall from his office to start my practice. And so uh, we, I would talk to him about, you know, the real estate that people had in their estates. And so I started learning about real estate and loved it. I just really loved that whole thing. And so the thing about probate, the thing about real estate, if you do good, if you provide a good service and you help people, which is the reason why I went to law school after all, (laughs) I mean, literally, I felt like if, you know, if I know the laws or understand the rules, I can help people. You know, I can help people who are traditionally underserved. I can help people who traditionally don't have the information they need to draft a will or, yep. you know, to go get their mom's property when she put out of the tax sale, who just, they just don't know. So I yep. just thought, you know, Hey, if I can help them, then I, that's what I want to want to do. Well, you know, it's an, it's an area where frankly, everybody needs it eventually, whether they realize it or not, kind of a morbid question, but I'm curious whether the, estate and will and probate area has picked up because of COVID, either because people have had more time to think about things and get their, you know, be at home and have their affairs in order, or maybe they've seen a loved one suddenly pass away. I mean, has has that increased? I actually was talking about that yesterday. It has, uh, definitely people have probate, probate cases for, for sure backed up. Now in uh, probate court in Cook County, they kind of always have been, but it's worse now, which is poses a lot of problems for a lot of different you know people and reasons. But um, yes, people are definitely thinking about it more. They're thinking about an estate plan more. They're in need of um, you know like healthcare power attorneys. You know you're in a coma or yeah. you're sick and incapacitated in the hospital. Right. Um, so it definitely has picked up, and then. You know, like I said, with the the practice, a lot of times, you know, for for me and people who practice in this area, I met a my teacher. This was like three or four years ago. I was at the um, in Indianapolis. I was in Indianapolis at the bank, and I saw my teacher from high school. I just happened to see her. I said, "Hey, this is Ray. What what are you doing here?" We got into a conversation. I told her I was a lawyer. She says, "Oh, you know, do you do anything related to?" Probate. My dad is. As luck would have it, indeed. That's what I do, right? Yes, I do. And so her, you know, she, they actually had an attorney, but then switched to me at some point and and it worked out. And so I, that was four, four years ago. I helped her with her dad's will and probate of that will in his estate. And doing that, she has seven siblings. Oh, Wow. Sometimes probate can take a long time. I think it took us several months to get through that estate. During that time, her sister became ill. And so once once we finished that up, they asked me about helping her sister, whom I knew because she was one of the executors on the, her dad's estate. I helped her set things up. Yeah. And but then she got she got sicker and sicker. And after about a year, she passed away. Mm-hmm. So then I took, you know, I did her, helped her. They have seven siblings. <laughs> who are all of a certain age. Right. Um, and they and, have friends and, and, have friends. and uh, so a lot of this family and and so you know a lot of in this type of practice it's word of mouth. Yeah. You know, and I do tax surplus sale claims. So it, I help people there and that again, word of mouth. I help people, right? So that's what I think. So it was very easy when I came back out of the clerk's office. I just decided I was just going to continue helping people. Great. 
Great story. You've also faced some, I think, some challenges along the way. A couple of them maybe you shared with me, both family responsibilities, but I'm sure there have been others that you faced. And I think it'd be inspirational for my listeners to hear maybe how you dealt with some of those challenges. Well, yeah, I, you know, you're right. I think especially being, you know, a woman in business, <laughs> a woman in um, the real estate world, for me, it has been challenging, you know, dealing with people who just take advantage of you, right? Or, or try to bully you. Really? Um, yeah. I, so I, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know much about the real estate world. So fill me yeah, in. Exactly. What I'm, I'm referring to like, because uh, one of my projects, Project 5000, uh, which I started several years ago, because I wanted to help people. I wanted to create reasonable, affordable homes <laughs> and, and serve people who are traditionally underserved, you know, um, and, and I knew something about real estate. I knew something about buying land or buying lots and quieting title those lots. And so pulling people together to, to do that. But in well, doing well, that. And also you're, you're an attorney. So, right. you know, you people joke about and make lawyer jokes. But at the end of the day, I think at some level, people think, wow, you know, attorneys know how to protect themselves and know how to figure out the system, right? Right. And I, and I thought that too. So I was quite offended and appalled when I have, um, I think in any, you know, in any business or any field, you just have people who are tr trying to be sneaky or, you know, just take advantage of a situation. And so for me, it was the contractors. And I think, you know, what I'm told is this is an unusual um, contractors just, you know, they get in a bind. They're trying to rob Peter to pay Paul. I think I'm, I'm making excuses for him. I don't know, but just um, there are very few people, first of all, who look like me, <laughs> black women who are builders, um, who who literally, you know, do what I was doing, what what and still do, which is buying property, building on it, and, and selling it at a reasonable price. Very few people. So I think, um, you know, the contractors. Just, you know, we're greedy, wanting to get, you know, make, not do a good job, wanting to still get paid um, and just leaving me in the lurch. I don't know how to do anything related to contractor work. I don't even know how to really use a hammer. I always jokingly say that <laughs> I don't and I don't want to. So I can't, you know, finish it. I can't not fix the project. So I think that was the biggest, you know, disappointment for me was, um, just having to deal with just some, you know, unsavory people who, who took advantage. You know, I went through two or three different cycles of contractors. Ultimately, though, I, you know, I met, uh, you know, super guy who is my contractor builder now, um, you know, who is really a partner um, with me on what I'm doing with in that particular on that particular project. So that for me, that's it's just been a big a challenge, uh, you know, in, in dealing with individuals, I'll say people who, you know, try to take advantage or bully me. I, I do. I will say I, I, I even get that as a, in my legal practice. Oh, in, yeah. In I think for areas. most most service providers have been bitten at okay. some point okay. by a client that you thought was good for the money or maybe they were good for a long time or quite a while and then suddenly mm -hmm. uh they stiff you and it's it's painful yeah i, I i'm i'm surprised at the um at the, like opposing counsel i'm always surprised when opposing counsel is just unprofessional you know i don't know why that surprises me all the time and, and maybe I'm, I'm talking about it now because i'm going through you know yet another situation in, in negotiating um, you know, but you were asking me about the challenges I faced. I mean, those are the challenges I've I faced. Um, you know, obviously, you know, we talked about money and finances. You know, the financial stability, you know, isn't always there. Um, but I think having the real estate and having, uh, you know, multiple streams of income has been, you know, super awesome. Understanding the real estate arena um, and then, you know, having the ability to create those other streams ultimately you know, was super helpful uh, for me. So I don't worry so much about money anymore, but certainly in the beginning, you know, it was a challenge uh, and very, very stressful for, for me. 
So just having a stable, stable finances, you know, uh, for me. So I think, um, you know, as you said, being an entrepreneur, I think, I don't know, being a, particularly a, a female entrepreneur, um, I, I don't know. I may have faced more challenges than uh, a, a, a man. I, I'm not sure, but I know they go through their own struggles. Uh, but certainly I'm not a man, so I wouldn't know. But um, Well, you, you certainly have, reading between the lines, a can-do kind of mentality. And I think you need that as an entrepreneur because, frankly, none of us are good at everything we need to do. And, you know, that may be things like marketing or administrative stuff or, you know, even when it comes to things like legal, you don't know everything, right? So you have to find either find the answer yourself or tell people you're not qualified to do it or find somebody else who can help you do it. But in every respect, you need to be resourceful and be able to just find answers and not be intimidated by the fact that you don't know everything, but you'll figure it out or find somebody who does. I think that is something that, yeah, I have a a really good friend I was telling you about earlier who is, um, he is a computer computer science person is a computer security. And so I've always kind of had him and, you know, leaned on him and his, that's his thing. You know, something that he really helped me to understand is that, you know, you know, we can try to be resourceful. We'll, you know, ask somebody and ask somebody, uh, but we definitely try to figure it out. And if we, but if we don't know, we say we don't know. Like, I'm not going to take on criminal law, right? It's not something I'm going to do. Pass a criminal uh, client off to my, one of my colleagues because it just, you know, over my head, I'm going to hurt, get hurt and hurt the person. Um, so that's one of the things I learned early on is to, you know, not, take on uh work that I just have no <laughs> no idea how to do and I may get hurt in it and it all ultimately may be hurt in it all and then I want to help people I want to really help them not just take some money from them and so if it's something that I can't even if it's a case I think I can't win I'm going to tell them and you know I just won't take on take on that client although I will I do take on clients you know and try to you know fight for them um, and, and then, like you said, just being resourceful, you know, I'm not going to know everything. Um, and I have to realize that I'm not going to know anything, even if I know, know how to do the research and analyze a particular issue and provide the feedback or go to court or go to a particular judge. There's some, sometimes I just won't do it. Um, if it's just over my head and too much, you know, because I'll end up hurting myself and my client. Yeah. Ultimately. So are are there certain kinds of clients you've steered away from? I guess you're saying yes in a way yeah. from a subject matter perspective. But, you know, at least, you know, my experience in a, in a service business, it's there's certainly certain kinds of people that just aren't worth the trouble. Has that been your experience too? I mean, I try to work with people. It just depends, you know, even if they don't have the finances, you know, I try to really talk to them about doing some sort of installment plan. Um, in the beginning, I though I I really I don't know why, but I I really I did have to figure out how to ask for money. <laughs> and, and right. I, you know, I don't know for a long time I felt I don't know if it was guilty. I just felt weird about taking people's money for for my services. <laughs> I don't, I, what is that? I, you know, I so. have a feeling that's a limitation that women deal with. You know, that's, so that's a little piece of the imposter syndrome because yeah. they say women are not nearly as good as men, not even remotely close at applying for jobs they're not qualified for, but still uh-huh. being with a straight face telling people they're the best candidate for the job or mm-hmm. asking for promotions and raises. We're, mm-hmm. we're just not as good as men about that. Yes. Yeah. So for me, it was a long time and, you know, it's only, um, you know, only recently really that I'm just like, okay, I'm worth this and more. So I think I, I've always, I would always take on clients, like even if they can pay, you know, um, and it would it would get me into trouble sometimes because then I would, you know, 
take on two or three more clients or work twice as hard to make up for that client. <laughs> you know, so honestly, that, that's what I've done. Like you said, I, I don't take on clients in basically in terms of subject matters, but they just, they just don't, they don't come to me. Yeah. You know, I don't have to uh, say, oh, I don't do that, but they, they just don't come to me. Recently, I, I've just been inundated with work and, and clients. And so I have had to refer uh, some clients, you know, out to other people just because of what I'm, you know, what I'm doing uh, here. Um, but um, I typically take, you know, everybody. I, I was, I'm trying to think who would I not take or who have I not, um, what type of client, but it, it, I think it more has to do with the area of law. Yeah. Um, you know, cr- criminal law or some other area that I just don't have any experience in. Well, you indirectly reference, you said, with what you're trying to do. And I know from talking to you beforehand that you're actually uh, a candidate for a, a judicial position in Cook County. Talk a little bit about that and how you're juggling that with managing your business. I was so coward. <laughs> Well, you're trying to do two jobs, basically. Yeah, and I, I'm trying to do two two jobs, and like I want to win. You know what I mean? Like, so I'm like just going, pulling out all the stops, and using all my resources and everything. Yeah, I'm running for judge. Um, I'm happy to say, I'm very proud to say that I had the opportunity to run for judge in uh, Cook County, Illinois. Congratulations! Um, thank you so much. I'm so excited. I'm, I want to cry <laughs> most of the time. It's just been dream of mine ever since I went to law school. I think you'd make a great judge. I can tell just talking to you. I think so too. I, I, I love people. I mean, I truly, I love people. I love helping people. You know, I think being on the other side of the bench, having worked and, and been an attorney for 20 years and, you know, come before judges, I, I, you know, I'm fair, I'm honest and have integrity. And I really just work very hard um, I just have an understanding. I'm compassionate about people and, you know, just what they've gone through. So I, um, you know, I have a lot to offer, I think, too, um, in regards to my computer science background, uh, because believe it or not, the legal field is like the last frontier of uh, <laughs> moving into <laughs> technology. They just, the legal field just does and want to do. I mean, we, the county, the um, circuit court here is the the, the biggest court system, maybe second largest to LA, court system in the country, just now rolling out a uh, case management system, just now, been on paper paper for years and years and years, paper, can you believe it? (laughs) You know, they have these things when you take the order to court here, (laughs) you you have to give the judge the order and you have to give them all the carbon copies on the paper so that when they stamp it, you can make a copy. In Marion County, Indiana, we, if there's a computer system, I don't take paper to court any any longer right. in Marion County. So right now they're trying to move in that direction. You know, there's a case management system here. But recently with COVID, we just started going to, uh, this is all court systems, to allow the hearings, allowing us to have hearings via Zoom. That sounds like a simple thing, <laughs> but truly it has created a situation where I can literally practice both here and in, in Indiana. Right. And I do. And, yeah. and for, for the litigants, for people, you know, having to come to court, a 15 minute court call, having to take off work or hire a babysitter for a 15 minute court call, being able to have that on Zoom, you yeah. know, is is powerful. What a, con- what a concept, huh? Oh my gosh. I mean, I can't tell you. So I'm Super, I'm making a push to keep this going even after COVID. I call it an access to justice issue. I'm like, instead of having somebody miss a court hearing because they can't take off work, put them on a Zoom, get them in the courtroom, have the hearing and move on. A lot of times it's it's a traffic case, right? You know, you have to come to court for a traffic case and then you miss out on work. If you get on the Zoom, do the traffic case, They'll keep your license so you can get back and forth to work. You know what I mean? It makes it makes a lot of sense. So I, one of the things I want to do is incorporate, you know, some of, you know, the, the my ideas and the skills and the tools that I have learned 
and been able to uh, refine in technology in the court system here to make it to make it better, to make, you know, provide greater access to justice. I've got a lot of to talk about with that cash bail algorithms, how we can change all that around, you know, <laughs> probate court, how we can move it up, move it quicker, get people in the court, um, you know, so that when, so they're not losing their homes when their parents die or mom dies or grand, grandma dies, you're waiting for, to have a hearing, the properties in the tax sale, um, and you're trying to get in probate court and you lose the family home. Well, I wish you every success with your candidacy. So what what are your plans with your law practice? I mean, yeah, I've been, I, I mean, um, you can't be two people. So how no, I have I have some time. The election is in June 28th. Once I win in June, <laughs> I like yeah. your positive thinking. We're going to speak it into existence. Once I when? win, then um, I'll get on the bench. I won't get on the bench until December 7th of 2022 so I have about a year so my goal is to you know move things off set up an infrastructure where I can ref- I have several colleagues who do this kind of work and you know I've been you know they know they're supportive we've just been talking about you know helping my clients out um, and just trying to set up an infrastructure for people to, to take this over um, I can still do some educational stuff and educate people but you know, I can no, in no way practice law. So it'll be a, a shift, I think a good one for everyone uh, as I move forward and, and once I win. So I'm just going to, you know, close out my practice, to be honest with you, but definitely refer my clients to some, some good people. Well, um, you know, I, what I love about what you just said is that you're able to view your business as a as something separate from you. And I think, you know, one of the mistakes I've seen and certainly that I've made is that your business becomes your identity. And that mm-hmm. that's when I think people sometimes make bad decisions because they can no longer, it's their baby and they can't separate their personal goals and what they want to achieve from the business itself. And mm-hmm. I mean, what you just said is you're, you've been very objective about it. You know, your business is important to you. Mm-hmm. And if for some reason you don't win or something happens, you're perfectly prepared to continue on and probably mm-hmm. look for another adventure. Right. <laughs> you've got a plan, you know, a very objective plan. Um, I was thinking about, look, definitely, I would look for something else. I'd look for, you know, I'm living my life. I'm very passionate about living life to the fullest and why stop at judge? (laughs) Why stop at (laughs) Oh dear. Well, okay. Well, I don't know. You're probably not going to make the uh, 2024 election, but uh, I don't know. I I wouldn't rule you out in in 2028. I mean, I hear you. I'm giving the thumbs up to that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we're almost out of time. I knew the hour was going to fly by, but Looking back, for those people who are thinking about starting a business, especially women thinking about starting a business, or uh, people of color, or entrepreneurs Mm -hmm. from other marginalized groups, looking back, what advice would you give to those people as they're starting their business? What, you know, what would you have done differently? What, what mistakes would you tell them to avoid? I think I really do think that it is important for you to I'm a communicator. I think it's important for you to communicate with uh, family, friends, loved ones, what you're doing. Um, And I think a lot of people like my friend, one friend are just super quiet about it because they're afraid that they're going to fail or whatever. I think having a support system is great um, because you may fail. You know, you may fail on the first one, but. You want the support, you know, to, to get right back up and to keep going. Um, and that's another thing. Don't be afraid to fail. I, you know, you can do all the research in the world and plan and plan and plan, and you still may, you still may fail at it. Uh, but I think you should go for it for sure. Um, don't be afraid to fail. Um, you know, really try to have a support system, a good support system. Don't listen to the naysayers. Get them out of your way. Get them out of your, you know, you want to have a, um, a, a, a really um, exclusive group of people 
who um, are not going to tell you what you want to hear, but they're not going to be the naysayers either. Yeah. Um, and there, and those, there are, I can tell you, at least in my experience, um, particularly if you don't come from a family of entrepreneurs or your circle mm-hmm. isn't a lot of entrepreneurs, there are a lot of people who are going to be like, oh, whoa, you know, you're oh, yeah, going to you slow know, down. Ooh, yeah. I don't know. Your, your supporters maybe only be one or two people. I just know that when I first started, my parents, my dad was crazy about it. He was like, what? You know, what do you, you know, because that was what they had planned for me. And my mom, I told them that, but I was telling them like, look, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to be really busy. You know, and then my mom was like, well, what, when are you going to start it? Because she had the entrepreneur spirit. And so, um, so she was great with it, but my dad, not so much. And nowadays he just, he just thinks I'm, you know, like this crazy kid still, um, even though I'm I'm sure he's very proud of you, but you know, I think that's true of a lot of dads, you know, you're, you're always going to be their little girl and they want to try to protect you from the big bad world. And unfortunately there's only so much they can do. So, but definitely go for it, go for it, go for it, live out your dream. You know, if that if you want to become an entrepreneur, just, you know, just 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 try, just try it. (laughs) You are you are an inspiration to me. And I hope to lots of my listeners who listen into this. So last question for you before we wrap up and let you go. If people are interested in your services or maybe they want to just chat with you about being an entrepreneur, maybe they want to help you with your judicial campaign, what's the best way for them to reach you? Sure. So you can call me. I have a number, separate number or email. So my number, my telephone number, oddly enough, is the uh, Indianapolis area code um, 317-446-8844. It's 317-446-8844. Or you can send me an email. Um, and it's my first name, um, M Meredith, M-E-R-I-D-T-H. Um, and then the at sign in the hammerlegalgroup.com. So it's Meredith at the hammerlegalgroup.com. Um, Perfect. You can maybe reach me at either one of those places and I check them every day. Perfect. Meredith, thanks so much for taking time to stop by and sharing your story and and uh, just, you know, just your infectiously optimistic and can-do attitude. It's an inspiration and made me smile today. So thank you for that. Thank you, Doris. I really appreciate it. I um, enjoyed it so much and I look forward to talking to you again in the future. <laughs> I look forward to that, too. Thanks, too, to all my listeners. You're the reason I do this. You can find more helpful information and resources on my consulting website, which is globalocityservicesplural.com, as well as my new radio show website. Yes, I've finally taken the plunge, thesavvyentrepreneur.org, where you'll find lots of tools, podcasts, and other resources. And you'll find more and more resources as I have a chance to populate the site. My door is always open for comments, questions, suggestions, or just to shoot the breeze. Email me at dnagel, N-A-G-E-L, at thesavvyentrepreneur.org. I promise you'll always get a response back from me. Be sure to join me again next Saturday at 11 a.m. Central, noon Eastern. But until then... I'm Doris Nagel, wishing you happy entrepreneuring.